multi-team or even whole organisational agility, business agility, whatever it is you would like to label it as, has never been easy. And there has been a huge number of frameworks over the years that have come and gone. Some have stood the test of time, others haven't. But all of them, well, let's say all of them, most of them, have had pretty good, strong values at their core. The Less Matters podcast is here for more than just less stuff. This podcast exists to help you get to grips with multiple team agile, to help you get to grips with how to scale, or even just how to be a better agilist and agile leader yourself, to accelerate your performance and the performance of those around you. Here at Less Matters, we are going to be having lots of chats with people that maybe have never even heard of Less before, but have brilliant, informative, valuable things to share with all of us. So, here we go. Without any further ado, let's get on to this week's Less Natter. Hello and welcome back. I say welcome back, like you've been here before. It's nice to see you. Yeah. You've done something new with your hair? I'm not talking to you, Tim. No. I'm talking to the people that are listening. Well, let's hope that they're listening. Yeah, or just ignoring. I'm talking to people that are, are, are ignoring me now. <laughs> well, they're, pro- they're probably booking their next hair appointment. So, well, you know, yeah. give, them, give them some space. We have Mr. Tim Robinson back on the show because last time he was here, we didn't talk about all the things that I really wanted to talk about because I got all excited about dancing in the moment and about how maybe Agile's brilliant when we don't mean to do it. (laughs) And then when we try and do it, it all goes horribly wrong. Agile's something that happens by accident, eh? If you try and force it, it breaks. Possibly. They'll have to go back and listen to the previous podcast and just hear hear that conversation and then build on it as well. Yeah, it'll be worth like 15 minutes of your life to go and listen to that one. But you're here listening to this one now. Why am I trying to send you elsewhere? What a terrible host I am. <laughs> Imagine that going to someone's house. It's nice to see you, but my neighbour... Oh, yeah, you should see their house. It's awesome. You should go next door. Yeah, go and see Ian. He's much more entertaining than I am. He's not. Ian's a lovely guy. Uh, if, you're, Ian, if you're listening to this, maybe I should talk louder so you can hear me because he's my natural neighbour. I think you're lovely, Ian. But no, we are here today to talk about a particular question in relation to multiple Agile teams. Hmm. And I believe, Tim, the question was along the lines of how autonomous can a team be in a multi-team Agile environment? Like Truly, how, how autonomous can they be? Yeah, and I think it's a really interesting question because I think you need to kind of maybe step back a little bit from answering how autonomous they can be and maybe answer the question about why are they a multi-agile team? So are they a multi-agile team if they don't have dependencies between teams? If they're an atomic team with very low dependencies, um, is this what agility is describing? Or where we have multi-team agile environments and there are dependencies between teams, then it's... I guess the, the the conversations that we've had on on LinkedIn prior to this were were kind of along the lines of, is that an agile environment if you've got teams who are tightly connected in a way that they've got dependencies between teams? Have you dropped the ball with regards to your 
organizational structure. I wonder. Because I think if we look at scaling tools, for me, right, if I, if I think about agile in its purest sense, and you know, I'm not, I'm not an agile purist, I think the job is to deliver business value. But let's talk about this in terms of theory um, and, and the theoretical kind of perfect, perfect agile of, of these autonomous teams with a clear vision, clear goal, the skills and capabilities to deliver against that, and no kind of impediments that are preventing them from do that, doing that. Now, we could use models like Scrum, which would describe these, these teams who are low dependencies. Uh, we could talk about things like the invest model, which is talking about independent work items. As we talk about the, the kind of challenges of moving to scale, I often see that that independent factor is being diminished. Yeah, uh, and we tend to accept maybe that there is dependency between teams. There's a, it's a question, but often, I guess I've got a very limited subset of looking at scaling tools, um, and you know, there's, there's one scaling tool in particular I, I, I've been involved with. I don't want to kind of go down the route of bashing scaling tools because I think they've definitely got their place. But in in my experience of those tools, it's quite challenging. They they accept the fact that these teams are dependent on each other. Um, which forces us to centralize dependency management, effectively having that PMO function. We're saying, you need to do this, you need to do that, you need to do these things. And we lose that autonomy from the teams. Um, and I just think there must be a better way. When you said about PMO, PMO and the centralization of the dependency management or yeah. whatever it may be, you know, I, was, I was thinking back to my times, at, particularly at Royal Bank of Scotland, all, all those years ago, but, you know, I got to spend a really long time working in very heavily structured projects. And it seemed to me, and there was nothing about those you could particularly say was agile, other than some of the labels or the T-shirts that people were wearing or the, the pens they'd picked up from a conference. What was interesting was that they seemed to have this huge desire, almost a raison d'etre, for making sure that each collection of people team, group, whatever it may be, could work autonomously because they would take all of the requirement for managing dependencies, tracking, reporting, understanding where they were against a plan, all into a centralized function. And often, if I think of the teams of business analysts who were writing documents, they had a deadline to meet. They didn't really care too much about what happened after that. They just knew they had to meet that deadline, but they didn't have the bigger picture. The development teams were just coding a bunch of tickets that someone had written for them. And so they, they were, there were many dependencies there, but there wasn't any effort to reduce those in particular. It was just a case of we knew it'll be happening centrally somewhere else. And when I think back to then things like, I don't know, team topologies or SAFE or like a lot of the, you know, less as well, I think, particularly when less has done badly, is that a lot by so less actually doesn't fall into this bracket, but things like team topologies, like team topologies, I think do because they, they they condone the maintenance of dependencies, and they say it's it's okay to have teams that have, and I'm going to be specific here because you mentioned invest, yeah. and there was a I think believe when invest if you look at some of the really writing on invest from like the C3 wiki or something, it does say that the I is independent in concept. Hmm. but not independent from a technical perspective because if you're all working on the same code base, it's never going to be independent technically. You're always going to have dependencies, but it's this conceptual independence that I think we've just kind of 
no one's paid enough attention to that. So we have dependencies, which mean that I'm on a team. I can't talk to the user about what it is that I would like to, the problem that we're trying to solve, because I don't know the problem from the customer's perspective. I'm just working on a specific technical function, but it doesn't matter because I'll just do my tickets and it's someone else's problem to bring it all together. I think that for me is where when we talk about scaling methodologies, um, and there's a lot of discussion around the objective being to descale. Uh, and I think that there is this middle ground, right? And I think, I guess, what I quite often see, or what I feel that I'm seeing is probably a better description, is that organizations say, we're doing the agile thing now, and we're turning off this plan-based approach, and we're enabling teams to plan locally. But what they've not done in, in correspondence with that is create the right shape for those teams to effectively plan locally. So we end up with this, this problem of a there is no planning. So previously, we were, we were a plan-based uh, organization doing our waterfall planning with you know, a, a great Gantt chart. Now, I'm not saying that it doesn't have a, a place. It does. Uh, but we, we turn that off somewhat, and we say, you're now all agile teams. You've got a product owner. You've got your own backlog. Create your plans. And these teams go off and create their plans, but they're unaware of the dependencies because they've been told you plan locally in your team. But the structure isn't there. Now, at some levels, you know, when you've got a small group of teams, they can do that quite organically and they may you know, choose to do something like a scrum of scrums type approach to getting those teams together. But once we get beyond a, per, uh, a certain scale, I don't know what size that is, but a certain set of teams, you know, maybe four or five teams can work together, collaborate together and make sure that their plans do align to achieve value delivery. But once we get above that level, we end up with a situation where we have to start to centralize that planning. Um, and you mentioned SAFE, uh, and I've got some experience in SAFE. Uh, not that I'm an expert in any way, shape, or form, and anybody who's listening to this will obviously pick holes in my argument, which I'm fine, tell me. But you know, I often see them saying, we'll have our product increment, we're going to have this quarterly plan uh, for the next, the next quarter, who's going to do what and when. We have this beautiful board up on the wall with our red string showing where those dependencies lie so that we can better manage those dependencies and plan them in. Um, and this for me, it's a bit of a workaround because our structure isn't quite right. You know, if we've got that many dependencies, I suspect that we've not necessarily structured things the right way. But what we don't measure is last quarter, there were 30 pieces of string. This quarter, there are 35 pieces of string. What are we not doing right here? Why are we not reducing our dependencies? Why are we not improving our structure to mean that we can work better together Um Without without those dependencies, now I'm sure there are other models which may handle that better or differently. Uh, I don't know, but for me, there's this underlying challenge here where we've not enabled those teams to to be autonomous when it comes to planning. And I think there's an element of that as well, which means that product owners are somewhat gaslit here because they're told you can create a plan, but fundamentally, maybe they can't. Certainly not in isolation. Oh, there's so much I want to say. And we're trying to keep these short. So I will list off some things and you can pick the thing that excites you the most, Tim. One, I think team-level product ownership is over-empowerment. I think given each team the ability to set the agenda on whatever it is they, they like and maybe giving too much ownership to a, a product owner at a team level just leads to people going off in different directions because you don't have the big the big picture. So I think team level product ownership is over empowerment at times. Also, 
a lot of the dependencies that teams will come up against in the software world are difficult to manage, not because they are just intrinsically difficult to manage. And actually the way to resolve them isn't to focus on like the pieces of string. It's to look at the the actual software itself and ask yourself, is there a better way to architect this? Oh, great. We've, we've, we've embraced microservices. We've got a microservices architecture, but we have to deploy them all in one go. Yeah. Well, yeah, so that's going to be a proper pain in your ass, isn't it? You're going to have to do a lot to manage the dependencies to bring it all together. So technical excellence has a large part to play in making the dependencies easier, the technical dependencies easier to manage and live with. And those are the dependencies we can't avoid. The last thing I'd say is, and this is maybe a little bit more ethereal, metaphorical, but when we talk about descaling, and Tim, to you and I, that probably means the, the removal of lime scale from a kettle. Right? Yep. And we, we put a tablet in the kettle and it takes off all the, all the wasteful gunk and crap that's built up on the inside of our kettle. And then afterwards, our kettle's probably noisier, but boils quicker. I think part of the challenge that organizations fail to see, and maybe some of, I've been guilty of this, and I think maybe some of our peers are also guilty of this, is that we go in and we say, let's descale, let's remove all that planning. But it's some of that lime scale, some of that waste is the very stuff that's holding the structure together. And we take away too much and we, we put water in our kettle and it just all comes out the bottom. Yep. We haven't left ourselves with enough of a structure left just to operate. And then we're trying to fix a boiling kettle as we're trying to boil the water. And that's really difficult. Yeah, I, I think I like the analogy. For me, I, I'd like to go back to the over-empowerment statement around product owners. So if they're a product owner, do they own a product? right, in its entirety. And if they do, then maybe it's not over empowerment. If their product is actually more component to a larger scale value proposition, then I would I would actually agree with you completely that, that actually what they do is they provide a component or a subset or a function within a larger suite of products or services. Then, yeah, we need to tie those people together much more closely, much more alignment. Now, obviously, there are many ways of doing that. Some of that is more uh, process-driven than others, and, uh, and I'm sure you can find your own path. But if a product owner truly owns uh, a discrete product, then maybe it isn't over-empowerment. Maybe they should be the the expert who defines the, the goals and, uh, and aspirations. And I guess it's about how do you cut your organization in a way I mean, maybe it's not even possible in large-scale organizations to do that. And that's where we need to look at scaling scaling tools. But for me, I think we should be striving for that world where you can have more and more autonomy at the, the base layer, where the work gets done, less requirements to centralize planning. Because as you know, the, the flow of value flowing from left to right can be really quick. Yeah, because these teams can work together. The flow of information can be more obscure uh, and have to bounce up through different uh, different areas. And for me, that's where a lot of the challenges arise. That flow of information isn't aligned to the flow of value. Um, and that would tell me there's a maybe a structural solution to that. It's about having those autonomous teams. But maybe, as you say, you know, when you reach a level of um, scale, that's just not something that's achievable, both from a technical perspective, but also from a, a philosophical perspective. I can't talk too much about the technical. I'm not an expert in that space. I know that there's a lot of work done 
by by DevOps practitioners to try and decouple those dependencies. You talked about microservices trying to decouple those dependencies, having common trunks and, and commit processes that you know embrace CI and CD pipelines. I know there's a lot of work there. As I say, I'm not an expert in that space, but in terms of the other side of the equation, it does feel like that's more esoteric. Uh, it's more of a decision that's been made that we're we're going to do some level of centralization because we can't break this stuff down. Big question then that comes up from that for me, and maybe we won't talk about this one now because we are reaching the end of our our the time that we've well, the time that I decided we should take on this because I'm trying to keep some of these podcasts shorter. But it's a case of saying, what is your product? And you could argue, you could argue that anything is a product. But when you go back and you look at the early Scrum guide, and we're borrowing terms from Scrum all over the place, you know, the term product owner, backlog, etc., that it did say that teams, in in a roundabout way, it said you know, teams are not to have dependencies on any other teams in order to deliver the thing that means something to the user. And that multiple teams often work from the same backlog to do that. So from Scrum's perspective, it was kind of inferring your, your product is anything but as dependency. And I think then that, that really does help to eradicate some of the dependencies which maybe lead us to more of a centralized planning because we're able to say, okay, well, if, if as a team we're going to own a whole problem from the customer's perspective, then we're going to need some of those skills and some of those skills. Let's have a team with, with those necessary skills and maybe we can't have all those skills right now, but let's start with a few of them and build it over time. The problem with... 90% of organizations that are large and then choose to take an approach such as safe or whatever, less, whatever it may be, is that, actually, no, let me rephrase that. If they choose safe, it's easy for them to maintain the status quo. It doesn't force them to change much because it gives you those mechanisms. You go over something like less, it will absolutely force you to change quite a lot because your organization wasn't designed to use Scrum as Scrum was originally intended. But SAFE has been designed around organizations as they currently are, so it's just much easier for people. And I think SAFE is really valuable for helping people, when it's done well, for helping people reduce their planning horizons. Yep, but absolutely. I think very quickly, you know, it can cause people a lot of, a lot of aggravation. And then they wonder where to look at next, because less is too hard, and if they've kind of haven't had much joy using safe it's and with the greatest of respect probably because the people that had the answers or had the experiments to run which would have made it better didn't have a voice you know we empowered each team to have its own product owner but we didn't empower each team to actually say well no, hold on this isn't really working that well how about we try it this way so i'm sometimes critical of safe um and I feel like I need to quantify that, right? So I'm not. I don't want to be critical of it as a as a set of practices, a framework, uh, as guidance. I think it's about implementation, and I think that because it looks quite similar to a lot of the things we currently do, there's a, a level of complacency that we don't need to actually change. And I think if you actually do read a lot more of the safe literature, and there is plenty to read. Um, you would see that there is a requirement for training, right? There is a requirement for change. There is a requirement for reshaping. If you look at the adoption roadmap, it will tell you, understand your value streams, build your your trains around those value streams. Um, once again, not a safe expert, so feel free to correct me in the comments. But, you sound uh, like you are. Yeah. You're doing a good job. Well, it's a sales pitch, right? It's always good. No, just, but, <laughs> oh, now we're getting to the truth of it, Tim. But the, the, the point here is that it does say that you have to do this heavy lifting for, for safe to be a success. And what I have seen 
quite often is that there isn't a will to do that work. Um, it's an overlay on top of its process. And kind of back to that previous conversation around, you know, agile being organic, right? By adding process, there's a false sense of security that, oh, we've now got a process to follow and it will work. And actually it's more, it's more chaotic than that in the real world. Yeah. And, and this is what I like about less. Um, this is not a plug, but I like less because it does cause chaos because it does remove so much of the stuff which we've hung on to dearly and all of a sudden force people to think within certain boundaries that they didn't. And the boundaries are different. This is a different game. We're not looking to play the same game anymore. We're going from badminton to tennis. And sure, it both involves a net and they both involve rackets, but they're distinctly different games. Yeah, And that's hard for companies, people to understand. But in that chaos that then ensues when you're trying to play, you know, I don't know, 400-person badminton, that's when you, the new rules and the new ideas and principles can evolve from that chaos, ones which are specific and correct for that environment at that point in time, not the types of things we're going to look at and say, well, this is going to be the rules and the principles and the way we're going to work forever because there is no forever. I think um, you know the, the, the message that maybe is received from that statement is you have to break it and remake it. Now, I'm, I certainly sit in that camp of believing that, you know, for, for things to be, for change to happen, there needs to be a level of discomfort. And, and quite often these tools and practices and, and frameworks kind of push that agenda of making it uncomfortable by, by shining a light on it. But that also it should be made clear that it doesn't mean that we stop realizing value in our transformation. So quite often it's seen as, well, we need to stop doing any work for five months whilst we replan and reorganize our no, actually, this is incremental, it's iterative, it's experiments, it's hypothesis, and it's testing and learning. Um, and I think, you know, if you've got people who are maybe not telling you that message, you know, we're going to adopt safe, less, dad, whatever, right, scaling framework, you're going to do that at a pace which you can absorb, but also at the same time, you will be still having to provide value. You're going to have to navigate that. And that's why it feels chaotic, right? How do we solve this problem? We don't know. Let's work it out, right? And I think that that's the organic nature of, of agility that needs to be kind of embraced. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. People are just a mental right? image of, of try, trying to decant rice into a jar. And there's a certain flow of rice that you have to get at the right speed. Otherwise, it starts spilling over or you're going to fill it up too quickly or it's just being too slow. It's about getting that. You know, understanding the aperture through which change can pass and making sure that the, the change is flowing through that aperture at a pace at which is amenable to the system. So many things to say, with Ben, but uh, yeah, yeah. Let's, well, look, let's get you back on for another one or two. Would love it. Thank you very much for coming along, Tim. We will pick up our conversation um, again in the next episode because gonna, I'm going to get you back for at least one more, if that's okay. Yeah, I'd love to. Thank you. Cheers, Ben. Great. Thank you, everyone. See you soon. What a brilliant conversation. Do you know what? I really enjoy talking to people, as you can probably tell. So I hope you've enjoyed listening to it too. Now, don't forget to subscribe, leave a review, give us your feedback. The more attention that we get, the easier it makes it for me to free up the time to record these podcasts and edit them, to add videos onto the YouTube channel for Less Matters community. So please do give us your feedback, share it, like it, love it, give us your suggestions. My name is Ben Maynard. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Less Matters podcast. Until next time, stay safe and we'll see you then.